The views and discussion expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of the hosts of the program, WMKV, Maple Knoll Communities, its staff, or management. The information and advice presented are educational in nature and not intended to be taken as legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Always consult with your own legal, accounting, or other professional before making any investment. Welcome to Real Life Real Estate Investing, a show to help you gain financial freedom by investing in real estate. Brought to you by the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati and the Ohio Real Estate Investors Association. You're listening to Real Life Real Estate Investing on 89.3 FM WMKV. And now your host, Vena Jones-Cox. Good afternoon. I am Vena Jones-Cox and this is Real Life Real Estate Investing, your nation's public radio source for real estate investing news tips techniques and much more and today we are talking about a very important uh, topic in today's real estate market which is how to structure deals the uh the uh business of structuring deals used to be, I'm going to offer what I want to pay, and then I'm going to go to the bank, and I'm going to get a loan. And it is not that market anymore. Here to help us discuss this very important topic is Don DeRosa. Don is a nationally known real estate expert from the Atlanta, Georgia area, uh, and he is joining us today by phone. Don, welcome to Real Life Real Estate. Thank you very much, Zena. How are you this evening? Uh, doing very well. And yourself? Good. Thank you very much. Uh, so, deal structuring. <laughs> we had a, we had a long discussion yeah. about how to how to how to discuss this uh, today because I mean, obviously, this is a thing that that that. Gosh, we could have a seven day long class on all of the different ins and outs of deal structuring. But uh, we're going to talk today about just sort of the, the basics of what are we structuring, how do we do this, who do we do it with. Uh, I think we should probably start, though, by talking about how your personal real estate business has changed in the last five years. Because I know you've been around a while. You've been doing this a while. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, it's funny because every single person asks me that. Because we've been in the business so long, they say, well, you've kind of seen it all. How has it changed now versus, let's say, three, four, five years ago? And you know, I'll say this. Real estate hasn't changed at all, except it goes through its normal cycles. And what we as investors, you know, if you really want to kind of stay and be in this for the long haul, the biggest thing is you have to learn what the market is doing and how to ebb and flow, if you will, with the market. How does it work? I mean, so techniques that were working three, four, five years ago aren't necessarily the ones that are working today. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, let's face it. I mean, these techniques that we're talking about have been around forever. There's nothing really new out there. It's just how we implement them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So how my business has changed is three, four, five years ago, it was easy. I could buy it, fix it flip it to someone who went out, got a loan, and made money off of that. 
Uh, or we could get a retail buyer in there quite easily because, let's face it, it was easier to get loans. Well, now that the credit crunch has hit and there's not as many loans out there for people to to do, and, you know, let's face it, in a lot of cases, the people who are buying properties are investors uh, for the most part. It's changed to this, for me anyways, where I buy and hold a lot more now than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. But I can still buy and flip properties for a large profit. I just have to do it differently now than I did three, four, five years ago. Rem- so, I mean, that's how I've changed my business. Remember the days when you could pretty much walk into a bank with your driver's license and get a mortgage? Oh, yeah. And that was yeah. They you, they call that what they call that uh, um, no doc. Loans. Yeah, no doc loans. <laughs> where you just said here, here I am. I have a pulse. Give me money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's gone. Yeah, it, it it is gone, and that means that as you as you mentioned, we're 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 going back to some strategies that were just incredibly well known and incredibly popular uh, back in the late 70s through late 80s when there was a a different kind of financial crunch involving 21% interest rates. And uh, we're going to people who are not banks for our financing. Now, what we're going to focus on today is sellers as the source of financing and structuring our deals. Now, there's obviously... There's also private lenders, and we've discussed that pretty extensively here on Real Life Real Estate, and there's hard money lenders. We've also discussed that. But really, today, as we're talking about deal structure, we're talking about what can you do with a seller, with a ready, willing, and able seller to put together a deal that works for you and, of course, just as importantly, works for them. Now, before we launch into you know who these people are and how we talk to them and so on, when you are sitting down, you, Donda Rosa, are sitting down to structure a deal for yourself. What what are the basic steps that you go through? Because you you don't pick up the phone and say, "Hey, I want to pay two hundred dollars for your a month for your house." There's 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 stuff that goes on in between. No, there's a lot that goes on in between. Uh, one of the things that people they talk about is. You know, you got to know what you want to do with it before you buy it or the exit strategy. But I take that a little step further or half a step further and say, you got to be in the right living room first. In order to get someone to give you owner financing, there has to be a certain amount of motivation there. So when we start marketing to people, we start talking, we start, you know, we start finding out which individuals we want to kind of target as our customers. It's going to be motivated individuals that have a need to sell versus the want to sell. Mm-hmm. So that's the first criteria that you're going to look for is motivation. Then you have to have the end in mind before you buy. What I mean by that is if they say yes to your offer, you don't want to be the dog that catches the bus and say, okay, now what do I do with it? <laughs> mm-hmm. So you want to know, okay, if they say yes, What's my exit on this thing? And to be good creative deal, to be a good creative deal structure, you have to have multiple exits. The best deal on the planet is one where you have multiple exits. So if one doesn't work, plan A doesn't work, then you got plan B and plan C. Mm-hmm. Uh, where we've seen in the past, especially in the larger markets, California, Florida, 
it's a speculation type market where they say, okay, I'm going to buy this and hope this thing appreciates. Mm-hmm. And that was their only strategy. Well, you know, that doesn't, we, we, we found out how well that works. It doesn't. So what you have to do is you have to figure out what am I going to do with this thing? What, you know, if, I, if I'm the dog and I catch the bus, what's my exit strategy? Then you look at it and you kind of, what I, what I tell people is you have to reverse engineer a deal. And you have to look at it from from the end to the beginning. You look at it from the end first. What's my exit? Okay, how much money do I want to make out of this deal? Okay, and what we'll do is I'll show you, I'll kind of share with you some tools or some, some techniques that you can use to help that. And then I back into, okay, well, here's my exit. Let's say I want to buy it and I want to wholesale it. I don't want to touch it. I just want to make my quick five ten thousand dollars in my wholesale fee okay so then i back into that number and i say okay here's what i can buy it for so if my end strategy is i want to wholesale it i really can't go in buying it on the front end where it's going to require if i especially if i don't have any money i can't make an all cash offer on a deal if it's really really high or if it requires a bunch of money on my part mm-hmm. because those two may not, I mean, your exit may not match your entrance. Mm-hmm. Now, that makes sense to you? Yeah. Now, on, on the flip side, though, there's there's a lot of folks out there, uh, a lot of investors out there right now who are looking to buy to hold, and mm-hmm. they, are, they are getting very excited once again about, you know, some of these creative deal structuring strategies that you know, people have been doing for years, but new to them, uh, and and they they sometimes neglect in their in their structuring process in their minds to take into account what am i going to make in monthly cash flow in the back end Correct. because uh, you know it, a lot of times when you're structuring these deals and we'll we'll talk about this this more but uh you are telling the seller what you want the monthly payment to be and if you tell that them correct. if you tell the month if you tell the seller that you want the monthly payment to be $600 because you think that's what they'll take, and all you're going to get in rent is seven fifty, and you're going to have one hundred and fifty dollars a month in taxes, and another fifty in insurance, and then maintenance and vacancy. Okay, so you structure a creative deal, but it wasn't a good one <laughs> because you're, you're going to lose money every month. And I, I, I Don, I will, I will bet you a thousand dollars right now that I have said this on Real Life Real Estate at least a hundred times in the last 16 years, but just because it's a no money down deal doesn't mean it's a good deal. Absolutely. Couldn't so, agree with you more. So something... I mean, you have to create, you have to create the good deal. You, you, as, as you, I'm sure you've heard, we make our money when we buy, not when we sell. We realize it when we sell, mm-hmm. but we make it when we buy. And it, what that means is, to paraphrase that, is the better you structure the deal on the front end, the more money you will make on the back end, and the more successful you will be on the back end. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I'll kind of go through this a little. I mean, there's a form. There's really a formula for 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 every deal you want to structure. Mm-hmm. For example, you had mentioned uh, a buy and hold person. Well, for me, for example, I'm going to use myself as an example. In this market, like six years ago, I would have said $200 a month is a great cash flow. In this market, 
that is not a good cash flow in, in, in my area. For me, I won't touch a deal unless I'm making at least $400 when all of my expenses have been paid, meaning at the end of the month, I got $400 free and clear to stick in my pocket. And so that starts with understanding the elements of any transaction. And it starts with understanding the income of the property. So if you're going to buy and hold, you hear a lot of people talk about net operating income or cap rate. Okay. Well, you know, for years, I mean, I've been in doing this for 14, 15 years. I didn't even know what cap rate was. <laughs> so from an investor standpoint, a lot of people don't even know what that means. And, and even if I tell you what it means here, it's basically um, kind of an industry. What we've, what I've come to see, a cap rate, most, especially like we'll have foreign investors coming over saying, we want a 15% cap rate. Well, what does that really mean? <laughs> Yeah, tell me, tell, tell me about the cash flow. Um, we need to we need to take a quick break, Don. When we come back, okay. uh, we're going to make sure we understand all the basic steps of the deal structuring, and then we're going to talk about who does one structure this deal with. We'll also take listener calls at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight, or you can send an email to askvina at gmail dot com. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. If you're going to be in the greater Cincinnati area this evening and you are interested in wholesaling, the Real Estate Investors Association of Cincinnati's wholesaling subgroup meets tonight. It's at Max and Irma's at the Rookwood Pavilion and... Uh, it's sort of an informal meeting. We do have a topic, which tonight is Donderosa about a wholesale deals with owner financing. So something that you something that's sort of sort of up your alley, and we're going to be talking about that tonight. And I should mention, Don, that uh, for folks who are here in the area and uh, who want to know a lot more about deal structuring, you are coming to the Real Estate Investors Association uh, next month. It's going to be uh, boy, I just had this up on my up on my calendar. It's March the 1st is the Thursday meeting where you're going to be speaking and then you're doing an all day on deal structuring for Cincinnati RIA on the 10th. And uh, folks can learn more about that by going to CincinnatiRIA.com. That's Cincinnati R-E-I-A.com. And we certainly look forward to seeing you here in town, Don. So I'm excited. <laughs> you sound excited. <laughs> you sound... I am actually. I'm very excited. <laughs> this for this this is excited for Don, folks. Don's pretty laid back. So, okay. So so before approaching the structuring of a deal, what we're doing is we're uh, finding a motivated seller to talk to because nobody's going to do these deals with you if they've got all the time in the world and a great house and don't really need to sell it. Then we kind of not need to know what the exit strategy is going to be, and. At that point, you start thinking about what's the price, what are the payments, what are the terms. Is that do I do I did I outline that correctly? Uh oh, <laughs> lost Don. I just love it when that happens on live radio. Um, okay, so what else can I talk about? Oh well, okay. There's a there's also a Cincinnati RIA meeting tomorrow night. If you would like to join us for that, the uh, the early meeting is about how to get your money's worth out of RIA. There's going to be a discussion of the various benefits of the Real Estate Investors Association, including 
the subgroups, vendor discounts, uh, of course, all the all the great education that you get from this nonprofit association. At the 7:30 main meeting, we've got tips on maximizing the cash flow on your rental properties. This is going to be a panel discussion with a number of different uh, uh, Cincinnati area members who are landlords, and they're going to talk to folks about, uh, you know, how do, how do, how can you save on energy costs? How can you save on water? How can you? Um, how can you, uh, on what things can you skimp and not skimp when you are a landlord? The early meeting starts at 6 o'clock. The main meeting starts at 7.30. All are welcome. You can get, again, more information at CincinnatiREA.com, CincinnatiREIA.com, or by calling 859-292-7342. Our numbers here in the studio, if you have any questions for Don, are 877-772-9658. Or you can send us an email at askvena, that's A-S-K-V-E-N-A, at gmail.com. I understand we have Don back. So Yes, I'm sorry about that. I'm not sure what happened there. That's it's it's you know, live live radio, it's kind of stuff happens. We had we had one where we kept losing the guest and could not get him back and it was uh no nothing else planned whatsoever. So um all right, so Okay, back to what we were saying. Right. Motivated seller exit strategy, then figure out how to structure the the, the yeah. deal. I think is was was the conclusion we came to. Now, for you, and I know you've done you've done like over two hundred deals, and yeah. so this is not this is not you know, something that you're talking about after having done it once. When a seller calls you, and you're you're looking to decide whether you even need to open a discussion about terms. What sort of thing are you looking to hear from that seller, or what sort of things would would trigger you to think this is a possible creative deal I could structure? Well, that's a very good question because the first thing most people think it's numbers. Okay, can I make money? And that's really not the first thing that you should be thinking about. The first thing you should be thinking about is do they have the most? Because let's face it, not everybody is going to give you a ton of equity so that you can make a lot of money or any money for that matter. Most, you know, some people out there want full value for their house and they're not going to sell you a house regardless. So the first thing you're looking for is motivation. So when I start asking, I have a series of 20 questions. I like to call it 20 questions, but it's very simple. It's, you know, why are you selling? You know, what's the main, that's been probably the number one question I, I ask is, well, why are you selling? And I'm hoping to get answers like, uh, I have two houses, or I am behind on my mortgage, or whatever the case is that re- that has that they have a need to sell. Mm-hmm. Because those are the, the motivating factors are what. Because let when you look at the elements of a deal, not price isn't or profit isn't always the biggest motivator for people that are selling. They may have a bigger problem in their life that they would rather you solve than give them all their money. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the, the more, like when you start negotiating, there's three elements in any negotiation, time, information, and power. Those are the three elements of any negotiation. Um, and you have to be aware of those. So when you're, Asking the questions, you're looking for, is there a time factor involved? And you're gathering information, 
And the more information that you have, the more, the the bigger the uh, the more expertise you can actually bring to the situation, which is kind of the power of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm looking for motivation. That's the number one thing. And then I find out the numbers of the deal. Can I make it work? Can I create a win-win for both of us where I make money and I solve their problem? Mm-hmm. You know, and what I tell people is you're not an investor. You are a I want people to think of themselves as a problem solver. Don't think of yourself as a business person, an investor, person that wants to make money. That's not it. You have to find out what's the problem and then solve it. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest element for deal structuring. Mm-hmm. Now, Don, we just received a, a question via email from askvina at gmail.com that sort of fits in with what you're talking about here. Uh, this is from Michelle in Lorain, Ohio, and she says, I'm very interested in today's topic. I've been studying deal structuring through various methods such as subject to owner financing, etc. My problem is that it seems like the vast majority of sellers who call me and are motivated also owe way too much on their property. For instance, I spoke to one yesterday who owes $95,000 on a house that is probably worth eighty five in today's market fixed up, and it needs $20,000 worth of work. Okay. Well, I will tell you, there's some, you, a good deal structure can make something out of nothing. Depends on how much time and effort and money you have to want to put into this. Um, when you look at that, there's there's over 11 different buying strategies and over five or six different selling strategies in any real estate transaction. So when you start looking at the number of combinations that you can use, what I teach people is you got to look at every strategy and you kind of got to put what I like to say, anybody that's ever seen the TV show House, if you're not familiar with it, it's a, he's a doctor. And he puts up there every on a whiteboard all the symptoms of whatever patient it is. And then collectively, they start looking at this from afar going, okay, let's try this, let's try that, let's try this. Well, in real estate deal structuring, it's the same thing. What I teach people is you put up all the different ways to buy and all the different ways to sell, and then you systematically take an approach where you go, will this work, for example, on a subject two? Can I buy it subject two? Well, obviously, in your case right there, the answer is no. But you will get a couple scenarios like you could take that particular deal, put it under contract with the homeowner with the understanding that they know it's over leveraged. So you're going to have to get good terms. So you would say, look, I'll lease purchase it from you, and then I'll turn around and I'll either assign my position to an end buyer who doesn't mind, who couldn't normally qualify for that deal, who doesn't mind uh, buying a house that's over leveraged with the idea that I'm going to refinance this thing over time in three to five years. And hopefully by then the market will catch up and so on and so forth. So there's always a way you can do something with those. Obviously a short sale is another alternative, but, Sometimes that comes with a price mm-hmm. to the homeowner. But those are all options that once you learn how many different options I have, you can help somebody. And don't be afraid to say, I'm sorry, 
I can't help you. Yeah, and that's because like a, you said. Like you said, just because somebody wants to give me a house doesn't mean I want to take it. Exactly. Um, yeah, and that's a, and that's a fairly common situation today, Michelle, where people are very anxious to sell. They would do anything to work with you, but they're simply in a position due to the market and due to the fact that you know they probably refinanced that house what around two thousand five. And they refinanced it based on an appraisal that was probably high even for 2005. And now it's, <laughs> you know, now the house isn't worth what it's worth. And it's had six years worth of, worth of wear and tear on it. So it's not terribly unusual to, to talk to people like that these days. And, and there are some deals that without serious seller participation, as in they bring thirty or 40000 to the closing. Sure. You just, you can't. But you, there's also things you can do with this, Vina, where... You know, figure on on the cash flow basis. So let's say you let's say you take an option on the property from this individual, or a lease option, and let's say their payment is I don't know what'd you say the numbers were? Say six hundred dollars a month. Mm-hmm. Let's say six hundred dollars a month, and you can turn around and find a lease option tenant to buy this, and they're willing to pay six hundred or seven hundred, let's say, because they can't qualify otherwise. This is a good deal for them. They make enough money. There's nothing wrong with you going back to the homeowner and say, look, I have this person out here who's willing to pay $700, but I need to make at least $300 every month for me to make this work. You have to write me a check or you have to pay $200 in addition every month until they refinance this house. You, What you have to understand as a deal structurer you make offers that work for you. Now, you try to solve their problems because otherwise, if you don't solve their problem, they're just going to say no. But it has to work for you first. Mm-hmm. Don't, put, don't make a motivated situation from someone else yours as well. Yeah, don't, don't be a motivated buyer. <laughs> that's, exactly. That's what we call it. And but again, there's always a way you can structure a deal. Again, I know I know you've seen this because uh, I know you 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 teach on this topic all over the country. Uh, people get so fascinated with making the deal, and I'm talking about I'm talking about the investor gets so fascinated with can I get them to take payments? Can I get them to take no money down? Can I get them to take first payment in three months? Can I get them to pay two hundred dollars a month of the payment? That sometimes they lose sight of the fact that that they you know we say win win deal and. That that doesn't mean that doesn't mean the seller wins and the seller wins. <laughs> it means the seller wins and yep. also you win. We need to take another quick break. Uh, when we come back, we will answer your questions, listeners, at eight seven 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 two nine six five eight or at askvina at gmail dot com. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back to Real Life Real Estate Investing. I'm your host, Vina Jones-Cox. My guest today is Don DeRosa, who is making an appearance here in Cincinnati on March the 1st and March the 10th, uh, hosted by Cincinnati Rhea. Don is also one of the 21 real estate investors in all of North America that were singled out for inclusion in The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, a best-selling book that I'm sure a lot of you have read. So um, he knows whereof he speaks, and like everyone else who is still standing in the real estate business, he has done so by changing the way 
uh, he looks at individual deals. And we're talking today about deal structuring. Now, Don, I got a I got an interesting email here. Hang on, I got to get back to it. Uh, this is from Tom, who is in St. Louis. He says, how do you handle a situation where the seller can and will carry financing for the purchase price, but the property needs a lot of repair? It's not uncommon in my area to buy a property for $10,000 that needs $30,000 in work. Getting a $10,000 mortgage from the seller hardly seems worth it. A private lender is the obvious answer, but most of my private lenders don't want to be in second position after a seller first. That's very simple, actually. And I'll go back to my previous statement prior to the break. It has to work for you. And a lot of times what people, when they go into these deals, when they go to structure a deal, they they they. They basically take what the seller says and try to modify that and say, okay, well, the seller wants this. I'm here to tell you, you make the deal, you structure the deal so that it works for you. If it doesn't work for you, then walk. It's really that simple. So let me let me, let me kind of go to that point. For example, you've got a house that you can buy for 10000 but it needs 20000 in work. Now, I'm going to assume that the after repair value is far, you know, exceeds that so that there's enough loan to value in there so that as a whole, as the 10 and the 20, it's got a loan to value safe enough to so that the house isn't over leveraged. So I'm going to make that assumption. That's first and foremost. You should always do that no matter whether there's first or second. But the first thing that I would do is go back to the homeowner and explain to them why they have to subordinate their $10,000 because you can't renovate that. Your investors won't allow you to put a second on there for the repairs. And the way I would explain that to them is say, look, I'm going to, here's my quote, here's my repairs, here's everything I'm going to do to the house. If for some reason the bottom falls, if they question it, they don't question this and they don't say anything, just move on. But if they question it, say, well, I'm in second position. Well, you can say, well, when I'm finished, this thing's going to be completely fixed up. Um, as long as the payments are being made, the first can't foreclose. So they're still in a safe position. If for some reason that they, that I want, that they wanted to get that property back, let's say worst case scenario, I defaulted. The thing that they would have to do is foreclose. But you, if you explain it well enough to them why you need those funds in first position, what I've found is usually sellers are okay if you give them rational thought, a thought process. If you just go in and say, well, I need you to take a second and, and don't explain to them why, a confused mind does nothing. It says no. So you have to be very clear as to why you need to do what you need to do. And then once they agree to it, then it's up to the attorneys to put the right subordinate clause in there so that their loan is subordinate or second to the private investor and so on and so forth. That's how I've done them in the past. Well, uh, Don, and that, that, that sort of begs a question. Uh, most of the sellers that we would be dealing with on deals like this are not real estate experts. They've never heard a term like subordinate, which, by the way, for you listeners who hadn't heard that term either, what that means is 
the seller agrees to move his mortgage from first position into second position behind the private lender so he can now be in first. How how do you have that conversation without using big words like that? You know, Just like you did. Oh, okay. Like <laughs> um, I wouldn't use those big words either when I deal with a homeowner because most of them don't even know what that means. They'd have to go look it up. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would explain to them, I'm, you know, I try to do everything, it's kind of like a newspaper where I do everything on a sixth grade level. Uh, not that I think people are not intelligent to understand me, but I, I'm trying to be as crystal clear so that there is no confusion, because like I said, a confused mind automatically says no. Even though they may, if they were, if they were, if you were to explain it to them so they understood it, they might say yes. But if you've done a poor job up to that point explaining the why of the deal, why are you doing what you're doing? If you've, if you've not explained it well, because what I've found is most homeowners, they appreciate the fact that people are honest with them. And they understand that you're there to make money. You're not there to buy a retail house. And I tell people this all the time. Look, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be buying this retail. I mean, there has to be room for me to make money. And if you want me to buy this house, I can help you, but this is how I can do it. Which brings me to a negotiating tactic, which is, you know, know, one of the things that I'll discuss when I get up there is, you know, negotiating. How do you negotiate? What are some of the, what they call gambits, or what are some of the techniques? And and that's one of them. It's, for lack of a better word, it's, well, it's, this is how I've got to do it. Kind of take it or leave it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Without saying take it or leave it. You understand what I mean? Yeah. And this is, this is not the time, ladies and gentlemen, who are deeply studying deal structuring right now, to pull out your education in the sense of, talking talking to people as if they were going to understand what you meant when you said, well, what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, buy the property subject to your existing first mortgage, and then I will be taking a private second. Uh, just yeah, they don't it, know that. Say it in English. <laughs> don't, yeah. don't, don't use the jargoning words. Now, that, uh, that brings me to another question about, about uh, deal structuring, Don. What you are asking these folks to do as we've already said, these sellers, is uh, sort of beyond their common experience. If you're, if you're saying to them, I want to take over your mortgage, or you're saying to them, your house is paid off, so I want to make payments to you instead of paying you all in cash, they not only have they probably never done that, they may not even know anyone who's ever done that. So it, it seems like it might be kind of intimidating to them. And the the question that I want to ask you is, where are you physically when you're telling people this? Are you on the phone? Uh, are, you, are you sitting in front good, of them? Very good question. I'm going to tell you the number one biggest mistake that most people make in any negotiations is they try to do it over the phone. So many, so many um, speakers and, and, and educators will tell you your time is valuable. I mean, I mean, how many times have you heard this, Vina? Your time's valuable. You need to get in, make the offer, and get out and move on to the next deal. If they don't have, if they haven't made a decision, move on to the next deal. I mean, how many times have you heard that? Oh yeah. And, and in my opinion, that is the worst advice anybody could ever give to you. 
people do business with people they like. So your number one focus is once you've identified there's a motivation there and there's money to be made, your next step should be your immediate step should be building rapport with the people that have the house or that have the ability to make the decisions because people people do business with people they like so you've got to be able to build rapport with them and you cannot do that over the phone you can't do it through email you can't do it you've got to because if i i mean i'll just give you an example we talked about this example before you Dana and i i just had a lady who i said over the phone she said look she owned it free and clear she said i owe i don't owe anything but i want eighty thousand dollars if you really can't give me that, then please don't bother coming. Well, most investors would have tried to negotiate, made an offer over the phone. If she said no, boom, they would have walked. But me, I saw the opportunity, I saw the motivation, and I went on the appointment. Within an hour, I spent an hour to an hour and a half there, I got her from $80,000 down to $15,000 in an hour and a half. Now, it took me an hour and a half, and I showed her a bunch of tools that I use. And I told her the why, why I can't, nor why anyone else would be able to give her what she's asking. Mm-hmm. And that's the important thing. I mean, when I left there, she hugged me and she said, thank you. <laughs> well, that's got to feel good. I got a $65,000 price reduction and a hug. Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but she felt comfortable. I told her the why, I told her why I couldn't pay what I did. And I was very honest. I mean, I'm. I tell people point blank. I am the car. I am the CarMax of real estate. You know, I don't haggle. People appreciate that. I don't haggle with people. I don't go back and forth. Uh, and I show them on paper wh- how I make the offer and why I make the offer and why the numbers are the numbers. Mm-hmm. And I've got a great tool which I'll share with people if you come to the meeting next month I'll share with you I'll show you exactly how I do it it's 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 really quite remarkable once people understand why they're more apt to say yes as long as you build rapport with them mm-hmm. and and I think it's important to remember uh we're in these creative deals. It's very easy to structure a cheap cash deal. This is how much I can pay you. Can you take it or can't you? I mean, there's no structuring there, right? You just, if you're going to wholesale it, there's a certain price you can pay. But when you're, when you're asking someone to take payments or to let you take over payments, you're, you're asking them to enter a long-term relationship with you. It's, Mm -hmm. it's not, we go to the closing and it's over. It's a, it's a, it's a, and I promise you, I'm going to pay you every single solitary month for the next however many years or pay your bank for however many years. And to think that that sort of relationship can be built over the phone is probably naive. (laughs) Never, never happened. Never happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Don, we have, we have like two minutes left in the program. And again, you know, you're going to be in Cincinnati on at, at RIA on March the 1st, and you're doing an all day on this topic on March the 10th, where you will have a whiteboard and a projector, and you can show numbers and do all the things we can't do here on the radio. Is there any one last piece of advice you'd like to leave with pe- people with about deal structuring in today's market? The biggest thing I can tell you is in any 
good deal, deal structure, it starts with motivation and it starts with building rapport. Once you have the right motivation and you know what you want to, you, obviously you have to know what you want to do with it. But once you know, once you have, once you're in the right living room, then it becomes what comes out of your mouth. It's kind of like a resume. Your know, resume doesn't get you the job; it just gets you the interview. Your marketing doesn't get you the house. What you say gets you the house. So find the right motivation, and then get in front of them and be a problem solver. Mm-hmm. That's the best tip I can give you. Mm-hmm. And of course, a big part of being a problem solver is having the informational resources for yourself to know that when you say I can pay you two hundred dollars a month, that's the correct number, and to know how to put those things on paper, and to know how uh-huh. to, what needs to be recorded and what doesn't need to be recorded, and so on. And I know that's. Uh, Largely, uh, what you're going to be getting into. Yeah, at... we'll cover the whole thing from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So when I get up there. Yep, we definitely look forward to seeing you here in Cincinnati, and um, we will. Uh, we'll, 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 we'll. You and I will be sure and get together for dinner. Then it'll be a. It'll be a good time and an informational thing for all the folks who are listening. Uh, CincinnatiRia.com is where you would go to get more information about Don's appearance. That's Cincinnati, R-E-I-A dot com. And uh, once again, if you're here in the Cincinnati area and you'd like to attend Cincinnati RIA's wholesaling subgroup meeting tonight, it is at Max and Irma's at, uh, well, in about two minutes, actually. So, uh, but it does go on until eight. So if you want to go, go on out there, it's Max and Irma's in Rookwood Pavilion. We will be back next week with more information to put you on the path to financial independence through real estate investing. Until then, happy investing. Happy investing.